on today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. The Vancouver Canucks got their signature win of this odd 2021 NHL season against the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. We get into all things surrounding that game. Bo Horvat being a leader on the ice. Brain Holpe's miraculous, outstanding performance. Alex Edler's hit on Zach Hyman and much more. We'll end the show with some, I guess, breaking news. Some news, I guess, about Nikita Tramkin and his potential return to the Vancouver Canucks. And our guest this week is none other than Braden Fengler of the Stadium Chinatown blog. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Nux Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi, and the Vancouver Canucks got their signature win. Their signature win of this 2020. I'm already calling it their signature win of this 2021 NHL regular season last night, Sunday night, as we're recording this, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. What a win it was. 3-2 in overtime. Bo Horvat, the game winner. They were down 2-0 as well. Came all the way back against a heavily favored Toronto Maple Leafs team. They're about, I'm a gambling man myself. Go check out the It's Free Money podcast, my sports gambling podcast. But the Toronto Maple Leafs were about 360 on the money line, which is about 77%. I looked it up. 77% implied probability. In fact, last night, the Vancouver Canucks, now this is according to you know the, the sports books, the lines they set up, the biggest underdog, home underdog, to win an NHL game in the past, I want to say, I've got the tweet right here. I believe it's at least a decade. You know, the lines don't go that far back. Going back at least seven years. The biggest home underdog to win a game. And in pretty absolutely wild circumstances. Anytime it, the Canucks pull out a win like this, we, we have the clip. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. Who cares how you do it? You got the dub. Now, of course, it was an absolutely wild game. Again, we mentioned her, we mentioned it just now. They're down 2 nothing. They come back to win 3-2. And Bo Horvat, he he was the captain on the ice. He's the captain, of course, the whole regular season. He's got the C on his chest for a reason. But he was the captain on the ice. He led. He helped lead that team to victory last night. There's a lot of people after that JT Miller clip on Thursday that. J.T. Miller media availability, questioning Bo Horvat's leadership. 
why isn't Bo Horvat saying that? JT Miller is a real captain of his team. And, and you know what? That's not fair to Bo Horvat. This guy is a leader. He's a competitor. And maybe he's just not as outspoken as JT Miller. Maybe he's not as brash as JT Miller. We all know what JT Miller is like at this point in his career. He's been around here long enough. He's going to say what he feels. And the Vancouver Canucks don't put him out there to the media to answer questions on Thursday. If they don't know, that's the type of response they're getting. But Bull Horvat, you know, he said some, we went over it Friday. He said some telling things as well. But don't discredit Bo Horvat as a leader for this team. He may not have done the flashy thing. He may not have gone and blasted the NHL management, the NHL PA, the whole damn system for the situation the Canucks were in or about to be in at that time. Bo Horvat is a leader on this team, and he may be the de facto leader on this team, and I'm basing it on what happened on the ice last night. Scores the 2-1 goal. Of course, ends up scoring the game winner. Bo Horvat. Do not discredit this man's leadership. It's a different style of leadership. Bo Horvat leads by example. He doesn't have to... He doesn't have to say the flashy things to the media. Very much like Henrik Sedin. Henrik Sedin was not a guy who said big blockbuster quotes to the media. He led by example, but he was always willing to answer. That's Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat is in the same mold of captain as Henrik Sedin. He learned from the best. Different styles of leadership. That's really all it is. Now, of course, Bo Horvat, again, he led by example last night, the two goals, but the man of the hour, the MVP of that game, the first star, Braden Holpe. No doubt about it. So many spectacular saves. That goal, that probably should have been, that that puck was probably in. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. That puck was probably over the line last night, but credit to Braden Holpe. He's a veteran goaltender. He knows that, hey, if you can cover up that camera angle and have no evidence that, that puck was in, they're not gonna they're not gonna overturn it. They're not gonna say it's a goal. So a crafty veteran move from Brain Holby. But he had so many great saves. He had that one save, I believe, on the pow- on the penalty kill. Goes out, stretches across the crease. Great pad save. And of course, we have to talk about that save on Wayne Simmons. Just an COVID made Brain Holby gain Dominic Hasek superpowers. That was an incredible save. The poke check, the puck looks like it's going to, you know, go up on end. It flips up. It's going to go in the net. But he takes not, he goes, you know, full barrel roll, Dominic Hasek style. Doesn't get the first pad on it. Gets the second pad on it. Keeps it out. And that that that, that moment, that image is going to live in Vancouver Canucks history because of what, that game meant to this team after all they've been through the past two, two and a half weeks, players getting really sick, their families getting really sick. Head coach Travis Green, his media availability, he looked like a bag of shit. He looked terrible. But he was out there Sunday night, and you can quibble about whether the Cucks should have been put in that position in the first place, whether they should have Cancel the season. I think there's good merit to it. And it's 
and it's going to be a slog the rest of the season. But that win meant a lot to that team in that locker room. Don't ever discount. Do not ever dis. Do not ever discount the us against the world mentality. No one believes in us. Psychological motivational factor. It's a powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing. Now, I think a lot of the, the performance last night was was purely adrenaline. You know, these guys have been out of action for close to three weeks. They haven't played for a while. They're raring to get out there. These hockey players, they're built different. They're wired different. They want to go out and be competitors. But at the same time, the adrenaline, I think, watching that game is what carried the Vancouver Canucks to victory last night. And I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how this team performs the next few games, even the next game against Toronto. Will they have that same level of adrenaline that they clearly had Sunday against the Leafs? They were first to a lot of the puck battles, and they didn't look that bad, to be honest. And I was willing to go in with an open mind. I was willing to say, I'm willing to take these guys a bit less at face value. I know what they've been through, and I want to take it easy on them. I was I didn't want to rip the turnover on the first goal. Don't rip the turnover. I was willing willing to do that pre-COVID. Now, not so much. But I'm interested to see how much the adrenaline factor plays in going forward because I think Thomas Trance uh, of The Athletic brought up a, a good point on the VanCast. I was listening to it on the way over here to to our to our studio, the Post Up Studios. And the, the teams coming out of COVID breaks the first few games, they've done okay. But it's, you know, once the schedule gets a hold of you, once you get into the, the, the meaty middle of the schedule, so to say, is when things get tricky. So they're going to play the Leafs when you hear this. They're going to be able to play the Leafs tonight. Interested to see how the Canucks follow up that effort from Sunday. Will they still have that same level of energy? Will they still have that adrenaline when they get on the ice that they clearly did, that they clearly did Sunday night? Or will the reality of what they're about to face, 18 games in 30, 31 days, really going to affect them? It's to be determined. It really is. Now, if you're a Leafs fan, which if you're listening to this podcast I hope you're not. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. This is a Vancouver Canucks podcast, not a Leafs podcast. But uh, it, the big thing is the the Zach Hyman, Alex Edler hit just came over, came over the wire on Twitter, right as I was about to record this. Alex Edler is going to be out the next two games for the Vancouver Canucks on his hit on Zach Hyman. I loved how Leafs fans were trying to paint Alex Edler as some serial predator. Out on the ice like he's some dirty player. Last time Alex Endler was suspended was 2013. He is not a malicious player. He's not out there. He's not Tom Wilson. He's not going out. He's not Matt Cook. He's not trying to injure anyone out there. It's just an unfortunate incident. And Hey, I, I hate the Leafs as much as the, as the next person, as the next hockey fan. But I hope Zach Hyman is okay. Two games. It's probably a, a, a bit harsh, if, I, if I'm being honest. I'm not saying the hit was bad, but it's, I, 
I think I said it on the uh, on step on the forty on this network right after the game. I was surprised I, he was going to get suspended just because of how po- high profile that hit was. It's against the Leafs. Everyone in the hockey world was watching that game. They want to see what the how the Vancouver Canucks came out. It was a high profile game. It was a high leverage situation, and Zach Hyman. He is the Alex Burrows of that Leafs team. He's an important player. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised Alex Edler got a suspension. Two games, maybe a bit harsh. I, I thought he was going to be suspended at least, at least a game. But now it's, it, put pre, it puts pressure on the healthy defenders for the Vancouver Canucks. Because you looked at uh, you looked at the ice time for some of these game at some, for some of these players with Alex Edler out when he served that five minute major for that hit. Tyler Myers played close to thirty minutes last night. He's got to be gassed today, and it's going to be interesting to see how he responds Tuesday night when he's clearly going to have to play a lot of minutes. Last there was there was a shift where Travis Hamnick and Tyler Myers played the entire penalty kill straight after both of them coming off recovering from COVID-19. A heroic performance by both both those guys. Wanted to give those guys a shout-out. See, this is what COVID has done. A month ago, who would have thought I'd be sitting here heaping praise on Tyler Myers? But that's the situation we're in, the humanitarian situation we're in with the Vancouver Canucks. They want, I know they want to play. Should they play is an entirely different question the rest of the way and. I hope I, I'm going to say it again. I hope everyone's ready for Archer Silovs versus the Ottawa Senators May 15th or whatever. <laughs> because that's the situation. I can for, foresee the Vancouver Canucks taking it easy on those games. Same with the Ottawa Senators. Um, in terms of Elias Patterson, we've mentioned it before. It doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. Uh, obviously, the, the team's going to say they're hopeful. But I highly, highly doubt it. Anyways, you mentioned it off the top in the intro. Our guest this week on Power of the Towel is none other than Braden Bengler. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Okay, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct Network of podcast our guest this week is Braden Fangler of the Stadium Chinatown blog it's a Vancouver Connects blog check it out I encourage you it's good stuff there uh Braden how are you doing today man I'm doing pretty good uh you know riding high I guess off that last Vancouver Connects win as unexpected as it was yeah no it was uh we'll, we'll get into it right right after this it was probably in my opinion like the, the best win of the season easily but uh i like the name of the blog let's talk can we talk about the name of the blog stadium chinatown yeah, are sure, you man. are you just a big fan of public transportation is is that is that the inspiration <laughs> of the name or where, where did it come from um yeah it came from a couple angles me and my um my co-contributor and good friend trent leith who writes on it with me it's just me and him running the website uh we were just kicking around names and we wanted to find something that would be like you know it if you know it like if you're a fan that obviously there's fans from outside of the greater vancouver area that probably may not get the reference but you know if you're someone that goes to the games 
you at least tangentially know like Stadium Chinatown is the SkyTrain stop that drops you off of the games, right? So that kind of, you know, seemed like a good idea. We were originally actually pitching around the idea of naming it after like Costco's hot dogs because that's a cheap way to get food before the game. That, I don't know, I can't come up with a name that uh, ties into hot dogs and hockey, so we definitely dropped that. But uh, yeah, we were just thinking of like a landmark around the area that, you know, might sum up the fan experience of going to a game. And then we checked for like, is that domain available? And it was, you know, same Chinatown.ca. So uh, we're still very green on the scene. So I'm not, sh- I'm not sure at what point uh, that'll become an issue because I don't know what the ownership is there with like that and, uh, you know, TransLink. But, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. If we blow up to the point where TransLink comes knocking on our doors, you know, clearly we've got uh, bigger fish to fry or we've done something right, I guess, to get there. <laughs> well, maybe that, maybe that's the goal. You just, you just explode so much that, you know, TransLink just comes in and, and buys you out like an, like an, IP, like a, like an IPO. <laughs> maybe that should I really mean, be your end game. That should really be your end game. Forget all this, you know, trying to, to make it in media, just make sure your, your site blows up so you can get that TransLink money. I mean, that's definitely, you know, one way to look at it. That would be a nice out if, if the whole writing about the Canucks <laughs> isn't going well. You know, that would be a nice thing to have in our back pocket for sure. What about what about for the website? Did you ever consider the poutine at Costco? Uh, oh. they, got, they got, they got the good, uh, what's that sandwich they have? I think it's like a provolone or whatever. Yeah. They have, they, yeah. They have a nice sandwich there. What about just calling it the Met? You know what? That's also RIP some good they ideas. Close, unfortunately, uh, true, true. Yeah, I think we pit, we were thinking about the hot dog because that I think there's the that's never changed in price. I don't know about the other items on the menu, but that's oh, like it's a always a, it's always a dollar fifty. Yeah, dollar fifty, I believe, is the price. And I, you know, there's that famous quote that someone, uh, well, it's not really a quote, but a, the famous story, true or not, goes that someone pitched the idea to the Costco. Uh, CEO that hey we're losing money on hot dogs let's like up the price and the Costco CEO said something to the fact like if you raise the price of the f and hot dogs I'll kill you. <laughs> you know, I couldn't he knows he knows where the money's made. Yeah, exactly. And you know it's it's a loss leader. It's uh it what's it's what gets you in the door. And if they ever change the price of the hot dogs, I think that's when the city and the world would see would see a big uprising. That sure. that would that would be the uh, the end of the world as we knew it. If Costco hot dogs were suddenly five dollars. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, I don't want to live okay. in that kind of world. That's for sure. I don't think anyone does. But let's let's get to matters at hand. The Vancouver Canucks, uh, they got the win against the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, last night. As we're recording this Monday night, three two overtime winner. And I, I'm just gonna say right now, that is easily gonna be the number one win of the season, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. They can even you know somehow miraculously you know win a playoff round. I think that law, I think that game against the Toronto Maple Leafs last night will still be number one on the list. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if they make it to the playoffs, that's definitely a, a <laughs> definitely be an unexpected high. That's for sure. Uh, but that was a great game. I mean, there was a lot of, I think that was a team effort. That was one of those games that really it takes a village. I think uh, it was a team effort, but then it was also the fact that a lot of bounces went their way. Like a lot of bounces could have easily gone the other way. Like Holtby was having himself a night. But there were also a lot of times when the puck was in the crease and it just hit the post or the stick a certain way that took it out of the danger zone for him. And I think uh, in a parallel universe, that game is like 6-2 Toronto or something like that. Like, I think the Knucks really, 
really lucked out in some respects. Um, and it could also be that they're rested. I mean, not for the reason yeah, it wasn't hope, really a nice vacation for them the past. No, definitely not. I'm sure, you know, and we know not everyone uh, contracted the virus, but certainly most. And uh, they're, de- they're definitely not rested enough to justify coming back really kind of at all, but they at least haven't been competitive. So I don't think that plays a huge factor, but I'm sure, I'm sure maybe that's one way to look at it. I think the other thing is that Toronto uh, is coming off a couple losses if I read their schedule correctly. So they're maybe just a bit down on themselves. I don't know if playing a uh, former, former Leafs, uh, Travis Boyd and Jimmy VC really shook them to their core or what, what impact that had. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was unexpected, but um, not the outcome I think most people thought would happen going in that night. That's for sure. Well, I, I'm interested to see, and I said this earlier, I'm interested to see whether the Vancouver Canucks keep this up, you know, on, on Tuesday against the, um, against the Maple Leafs, or if that game on Sunday was just, you know, the adrenaline of playing your first game in three weeks and getting excited to get back out on the ice. Cause they didn't look that bad. Like I thought they were going to be like absolute dog shit. And the, like I said, like, like you said, like they would lose like six, two or seven, one or something like that. Like it was not going to be pretty, but again, they didn't look that bad, but I'm interested to see if that was all adrenaline on, on Sunday or, you know, maybe, maybe they found something in quarantine. Like, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm interested to see what, what this team looks like Tuesday night. Yeah. I think adrenaline's a good way to put it. I think that's better than how I phrased it and say they've, they've rested, which is obviously not really the case, but what yeah, I meant but to they say, were not having a good time. Yeah. What I meant quarantine. to say there is that they haven't been playing, you know, at a competitive level of, of hockey because they've been, either sick with the illness, you know, to varying degrees, or they just haven't contracted it and they've just been sitting. So there's a certain maybe giddiness to getting back on the ice. That's almost like a sort of pseudo beginner's luck to, to bouncing back after having basically a month off that maybe gave them that edge. Cause you know, I don't know if Toronto really knew what to expect because the Vancouver Canucks didn't know what to expect. So that probably benefited them there. Uh, now that Toronto knows what to expect from this team. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be the same going into Tuesday's game. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Bull Horvat, you know, I think, I think Brain Holby was deservingly, you know, the first star of the game, MVP, most valuable player of yes. that game oh, easily, yeah. but, but Bull Horvat, he, he led by example. And what I know, I, we can get into this now, but what I didn't like after the whole, JT Miller situation, and we'll get into the JT Miller situation a bit later, but I want to talk about this right now. Paul Horvat and the fact that JT Miller comes out on Thursday, says what he says, and people are questioning Bo Horvat's leadership of this team. And they're saying, oh, well, why is Bo Horvat the captain? He shouldn't be the captain. JT Miller should be the captain. He's clearly more of a leader than Bo Horvat. Leadership shows itself in different ways. All right. There's no right or wrong way to be a leader. You can be a leader in the sense that you speak up in situations like that, or you could be a leader where you lead by example on the ice like Bull Horvat did last night. Two goals, including the overtime winner. The, his first goal, a 2-1 goal, kind of set the wheels in motion for that comeback. And it, again, it goes to show that, yes, JT Miller is a leader on this team, but there's a reason Bull Horvat is the captain, because he leads by example on the ice with what he does. Yeah, and I don't think it's very... You know, JT Miller is a great character, but maybe it's not very captainly to be dropping as many F-bombs as uh, as he does on a regular basis and seeming to lose his temper a bit there. I don't think that's 
you know, necessarily breeds a whole lot of confidence if that's happening on a nightly basis. Not to say that it always is for JT Miller, but we know he definitely has a higher uh, a higher ceiling when it comes to how angry he can get in game situations. I think Bo is level-headed on the ice and oftentimes in front of the media as well. But I don't know what goes into deciding which players are available when, but I feel like if Bo was the first player to speak up, I feel like he may have had similar comments. I mean, we saw in his uh, availability, um, you can take this however you want, but when he was asked that question of what what um, support did he get from the organization, right? He gave the answer of he got great support from the fans and I believe great support from from other players around the league as well. Now, I don't know how much you want to look into that. You could I'm, say I'm willing to look 100% misheard. into that. I'm willing to look, look yeah. all the way into that. Like Bo Horvat is a very, very well-trained hockey player in terms of the media. He knows what he's saying. He heard the question 100% correctly from Thomas Trance. He knows what's up. So if he's completely yeah. ignoring that and saying, oh, we got support from the fans and fellow players from around the league and not, um, and not from ownership and management and what have you, then I'm willing to read 100% to that. There is something there. Start up a rumor. Yeah, let's, get, let's get going. I usually try because it's very, it's fun. And it's also, it's, you know, sometimes it is the truth, which I think in this case it is. It's easy to jump into that, reading into things like that. And I always try to take a step back and be like, okay, well, that's the fun answer. But what maybe is the actual answer? In this case, I think the two are the same. Um, but I do try to like peel back the onion a bit. Um you know, something that else, something else that brings to mind is the whole gut at being traded thing. People are like, oh, that's 100% like a reaction to him bring, bringing COVID to the team. Uh, I think if you're comparing the uh, the um, Bo Horvat and Gaudet situation as far as as far as what he said in the availability and, and Gaudet getting traded, I think it's not the same there. I think you're probably right that uh, Bo Horvat probably knew what he was doing there. And I think the Gaudet trade was mostly due to his ability and what he's been doing on the ice. Probably the COVID thing did not help and probably, um, you know, er um, pushed Jim Benning to finally make that trade. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, I think Bo was, Bo is, Bo is hard to read sometimes, but I think in that case, you're right. He did know what he was doing there. And one other thing I think, the people involved knew what they were doing was sending out JT Miller on that Thursday to kind of lambast the NHL's protocols and decision to try and get them out playing on a Friday, right? Like you don't, you don't send out JT Miller for a press conference like that, unless you want a specific answer. Cause we, we JT Miller has been in this city for a year and a half. We know how he is, right? He's a straight shooter. He's going to say what he feels. And again, it's from the Canucks perspective, you don't promote what he's saying on social media unless there's a strong majority in that organization who believe what he's saying, right? Yeah, I guess that maybe is, was the organization's way of trying to have the players' backs, as weird as it is, making one of their players have the players' backs for them. I think uh, we obviously know that the players were not happy with um, how they were very much kept out of the loop and clearly out of the decision-making process of when they would return to play. So I think maybe Aquilini and maybe Benning and maybe the rest of the organization didn't feel like they wanted to poke the bear, uh, the NHL being the bear in this case. And they set JT Miller out there to do that. I guess that's maybe the, the, the way they went about it. But I think that uh, the organization really kind of dropped the ball in how they 
loop the players into this like obviously there's the whole monetary aspect of finishing the season there's the whole integrity of the game aspect of finishing the season and these are things that probably Aquilini and the NHL want hand in hand but if you're really rubbing the players the wrong way by rushing them back to play here like this could be damaging for I don't want to be alarmist but this could be damaging for the franchise for years to come if the players think okay well when the going gets tough like this is how you treat us. This is how involved we are. Why would I want to sign to be here? Why don't I, why wouldn't I want to sign uh, with a team that's going to really keep me in the loop and, you know, listen to everything I have to say. We saw over free agency, how not available Jim Benning is, how he runs out of time and how players don't hear from him. So they go to other cities. Like, I don't know, this whole past year doesn't really lay out a nice welcome mat for people to stay long-term. I don't want to say the whole team's going to up and leave, but you know, it's definitely not helping. That's for sure. Well, I think Elliot Friedman said something to the same effect on uh, Hockey Night Canada Saturday headlines. Like, bridge, you know, fences have to be mended. Bridges have to yes. be, you know, b- built between players and management and ownership. And I think, you know, that's a conversation that's going to happen with this franchise for uh, in the next few months because I don't think you can go into next season unless some some sort of you know change or some way to address it is made. And I know like they got another month to play, but let's be real. Let's be honest. They're probably not making the playoffs. In fact, there's a very good chance they are not making the playoffs. So they got to play out this string, but by the time next season starts and, you know, presumably that's going to, they're going to be back to a quote unquote normal schedule in, you know, starting mid October or when, when the NHL usually likes to start their season you know, something has to change. And I, I don't know whether that's in the front office or maybe you move out some players like they did with Adam Gaudet, because you mentioned it earlier, Adam Gaudet was trade. You know, you mentioned Adam Gaudet was traded because of hockey. I think a lot of it was because of the whole COVID-19, him being the quote on, you know, the index case or, you know, the first person who brought into the situation, right? You're, you're, you're hearing the players talking about, Oh, you know, this wasn't just them who got infected, right? This was the families as well. You heard like Brand Sutter's pregnant wife got infected. And I can see a lot of the players in that room pointing at Adam Gaudet and being, what the hell are you doing? You're being selfish. We need to get this guy out of here. And I can see Jim Benning saying, we need to remove, like that whole at getting Matthew Highmore for Adam Gaudet screams, this guy in terms of his perception around the league and how he was viewed by the Canucks was this guy's distraction. We need to get rid of him for anything we can get. And they saw the first thing, Matthew Heimer. Okay. Bring him in. Adam Gaudet had an assist tonight (laughs) for the Blackhawks. Like he had a, he had a decent game from all accounts, but I think there's, there's something to the Adam Gaudet situation getting traded because of COVID. Apparently it was at a restaurant. The whole, the whole Adam Gaudet, like, I think it's getting painted by some per, some people that he was being irresponsible or something like that. He was just at, he was just by all accounts he was at a restaurant with his wife, which was it's kind of a gray area because it wasn't recommended by NHLPA and the NHL to go out and do that stuff, but it wasn't disallowed either. You know that could have been any player who decided to go out and in, enjoy themselves at a restaurant. So I think a situation like Adam Gaudet is one that could repeat itself uh, in the, in the future with the Vancouver Canucks, because you have, something has to change with this franchise. You have to make some sort of moves 
whether that's a player or maybe in management, I don't know, but something has to change before next season. If you want this team to have any sort of stability going forward, I agree. And that is a long winded answer of me saying there could be another player traded in the off season or Jim Benning could be fired. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that Benning is going to be fired, unfortunately for most Canucks fans, because um, I, you know, they allowed him to sign Tanner Pearson recently. But I think the whole COVID situation. But I think the whole COVID situation changes that. And again, maybe I'm being optimistic about the whole situation. Maybe I just want Jim Benning gone so badly because I know what he's done over the past seven seasons with the Vancouver Canucks. But I honestly think this COVID situation changes things because again, if you don't have that fundamental, it's one thing to like you know fuck up contracts and fuck up you know trading, not signing Tyler DeFoley. But it's another thing to get your entire family infected with COVID-19 like that's an entirely different situation for these players and if you don't have a fundamental trust in management that screams you know big problems going forward but but hey then again like I've described Jim Benning on this podcast before like a cockroach after a nuclear apocalypse like he's gonna find a way to, to survive this somehow yeah I think it depends if the players feel like uh, them being slighted is coming mostly from Benning or if it's coming mostly from ownership in general. I think if they feel that ownership is the problem, Benning is just an extension of that. So I don't think uh, kicking Benning out is going to change the players, um, you know, feeling towards the organization for the better. Uh, if they feel Benning was the real cancer in this situation and he was the one purposely ignoring them and ducking their calls and what what have you, then yeah, maybe kicking him out even after the the Pearson contract that he was allowed to sign, maybe that is the play. But you know, I I have a feeling that Benning is really, and this year especially, is really just an extension of what Aquilini has wanted. I don't think he's really been acting very autonomously. So, and I'm sure the players probably feel that as well, if that's a correct statement. So I I don't think they're probably gunning for for Benning's head because ultimately in this situation, Benning is just the messenger of what uh Aquilini wants the club to do and what the NHL wants the club to do so he probably could have done a better job of that but um yeah I feel my feeling says he's not the root cause here and the fact that the ownership has allowed him to to sign this uh Pearson contract and recently signed the the Demco contract not that that um was a bad one at all or even comparable to the Pearson one but um just the fact that he's allowed to still do business I think they're keeping him around see I agree that you know Benning for the most part has stuck around as long as he has, because he's, you know, accepting of a lot of ownership's idea, but at the same time, you know, ownership's not going to fire themselves. They have no way to fire themselves. So who do you fire instead? You fire the general manager. That's why he's getting paid the big bucks. And that's why he's in that position to take that heat. That is, that is very true. He's, he's the guy that's, that's got to go right. Like, Aquilini is not going to fire himself as much as we all like to see that. So I don't know, maybe that banner that, um, that, that GoFundMe happened for a banner that's going to fly around yeah. uh, Vancouver with fire. You want to talk about that for a bit? Maybe that, uh, <laughs> sure. Maybe that, maybe Aquilini sees that out on the golf course or something. Okay. that really, uh, really strikes a chord with him. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he sees it out the blueberry farm and has, yeah. uh, has a change of art. Uh, are you pro or anti fire bending banner? Um, I think I'm neutral on it. Honestly, I think, you know, 
you know, I don't know. It's not mean. It's not really anything. It's just like if that's how people want to spend their money, that's how they want to spend their money. I do. I do hate the idea of, um, I don't know, bullying to get your way as far as fans go with sports or with media. Like, you know, we saw, you know, it finally go the fans way with the Snyder cut, which was a huge thing in 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 terms of media. So um, I don't know. I don't I don't really like that, that fans can kind of bully their way to get what they want. But at the same time, you know, spend your money. It's a free market. You can do what you want. And it doesn't really hurt me. Benning's, you know, making the big bucks. Like you said, uh, he's prepared to take that heat, whether it's from fans, media, ownership. Like, you know, he's the one cashing that paycheck. So, yeah, it's not it's not really a crime. They're not saying like, oh, you know, they're not doxing him or saying like, oh, this is, you know, he deserves this, that and the other thing as far as like anything brutal or violence or anything like that it's just you know remove this guy from his job so someone else can step in and do a better one it's fine see I, I, i'm i'm anti i'm anti anti people who are against the bending banner if you i don't like the people who are against the bending banner that's that's my stance because okay. again yeah okay then again i'm a big soccer fan you should see what some of these like italian ultra groups like the supporter groups say to their teams after they lose a big game like it is it is, you know, so much worse than a simple let's let's get a hashtag fire betting plane and fly it across English Bay or whatever. It's just so much tame. And guess what? People who who pay money to you know have this fire betting, it's not like embarrassing. It shows you have passion. It shows you have yeah. an opinion about the team. It shows you care about the team, right? Isn't that isn't that what you know a lot of people want? Like this team's been so bad for so long. It, it's honestly impressive that there's still passionate fans out there who are willing to spend their own money on a plane to fly to fly around a banner that says fire, you know, our general manager. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is really it's flattery to the whole organization that people yes. care that much. So it shows think, people care out the there. Good- it shows people care out there after you've put out a terrible product for like like the last five, six seasons. Exactly. And you hit on a good um, earlier when you're, so, yeah, maybe they just go, okay, this is what you want. This is what you want. And they, they, they fire Benning, but I think maybe that's unfortunately wishful thinking. I think he probably only has next season as far as like a leash or a grace period goes. I think he really needs to somehow swing together some results in that next season. Um, otherwise I think it's just going to be too loud for the Aquilinis to ignore that. And yeah, he's been with this organization. Like I think he's the, the second longest general manager or how, how I can't remember. He's exactly on pace how to he's become here. the longest tenured general oh, manager God. in Canucks history, which is unbelievable, right? Yeah. He's going to be record. longer. If he, if he keeps on surviving like another year, year and a half, I think he'll be longer serving a Pat Quinn. Yeah. When you look at his record, it's like for what? what did we get out of this time with him? Yeah. You can say draft picks, but you know, bump him down as a scout. Like if that's all he can do, because that's what people like to say he can do. I think honestly, drafting Elias Pedersen probably saved his job up until this very point. I think that uh, that's the one thing that people can point to and say, look, this guy fell to eighth or whatever it was. And Benning picked him. Like he's got an eye for it. I don't know. I, I, I just don't think that uh, Benning really has what it takes to manage assets. I don't think he's a very good people person because clearly we would have heard a different tune from the players if he was able to communicate with them effectively over this uh, trying few weeks that they had. So, yeah, I'm not very anti-Benning. Um, 
as far as some people are, I think he's done good things. I think he's done bad things, but I think at some point you just got to zoom out and be like, okay, where does, where does the scale tip here? And I think honestly, it tips pretty far in the, let's just get a new guy direction. If you ask me. Yeah. I, I, I obviously lean the same way as well, but uh, you know, how many times have we said with Jim Benning that, Oh, this is his last chance. This is his last chance. And he somehow survives, right? Like that's, that's one thing I always come back to is like, again, he is like a cat with nine lives and he's used about maybe six or seven of them. He's still got a couple left folks. He's, he, he will find a way to stick around because I think he does have ownerships here. Uh, let's circle back to last night's game. Brain Holpe. We mentioned it, but COVID gave this guy Dominic Hasek-esque superpowers, I think, because he was making so many ridiculous saves. And I think that the one save he made on Bray, on, uh, on Bray, Wayne Simmons, you know, it, the whole like, you know, poke check and the puck's like flipping up and he decides to, you know, do the whole like barrel roll and it gets hit with his, you know, trailing pad. That yeah. was, that was, you know, that's one of the greatest saves. And, and, and honestly, I, I firmly believe this. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. That, that's one of the greatest saves in recent Canucks history. And I know it doesn't have the stakes of like a playoff game or what have you, but considering everything the team went through the past two and a half weeks, unbelievable. Like what, what else can you say? Yeah, honestly, like if you look at that save in a vacuum, that is one of the best saves of the year in the entire NHL. Like I think we've seen that a couple times this season, if memory serves, where a goalie has kind of flipped in that direction and maybe the puck has hit it. Maybe it maybe it hasn't hit their pad, but that was a very clear like that was going in if Braden Holby did not do that exact move the way he did it. So that was impressive and honestly we can only hope that the seattle kraken were watching that game and go well you know maybe that is a guy we want to take after all because i think i think in uh in recent months it's been clear that his stock in the, as far as an expansion draft pick has gone down in many regards so uh yeah but not to not to move into the expansion draft thing and, and take away from how good of a night he had because he really had an amazing night and he deserves yeah all the accolades he's getting for that and it wasn't just that save uh, on Wayne Simmons as well. It was, you know, he made a couple of great saves, especially on that five minute, uh, on that five minute uh, penalty kill they had. And Matt, I, I mentioned this on our post game show. We complain here in Vancouver about the special teams. Maple Leafs power play is dog shit. Like oh, with man. all the forward talent they have and all that, like they should have a way better power play. They should not have a Canucks level power play. Yeah, I don't know what what it is with Toronto. They seem to. They seem to be, you know, cursed in a way, not exact same as the Canucks seem to be, but they just have all this offensive firepower and they just can't utilize it effectively. You know, it's not like Edmonton where they have McDavid, Dreisaitl, and that's it. And that's why they struggle because they really have those two guys and the money tied up with those guys and they, they can't build a team around it. Like Toronto has a team here. They went in at the deadline. They ha They have a team. Why they can't ice an effective power play is really... Is really beyond me and you know a game like this has got to really make toronto wonder oh you know this is the year we were going to go all in for the playoffs we just got beat beat by a team that was ravaged by covid uh you know an illness that leaves you with um mental issues as far as having brain fog and and not being at your you know your the top of your game as far as just cognitive awareness and also just it's a respiratory ailment so you're not being able to 
breathe and have as, as good of a pace as you normally would. You know, some people bounce back from that really quickly. Some people don't. But the fact that this entire team was ravaged with an illness that is almost designed to take out professional athletes and their first game back, they beat a team that's supposed to go to the Stanley Cup. Like that's really got to it's really got to knock you down a, a peg for sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think two other players that deserve, you know, praise after that game were Tyler Myers and uh, Travis Hamnick, because after that whole Alex Edler hit on, uh, on uh, Zach Hyman, he, they obviously have to play, you know, a significant amount of time. They play the entire penalty kill. Like they got two minute penalty kill the whole entire time. Tyler Myers logged more than 30 minutes of ice time his first game back from battling COVID. Like that is a tremendous sporting achievement to play 30 minutes, like half a game, half a game after, you know, getting ravaged by COVID. Yeah. That's the ice time that, that some of the guys put up is, is insane. And I think Tyler Myers definitely did, did a great job. I mean, he's one of the guys that, weren't I don't know the Canucks aren't too don't seem to be too sure too sure of going into next season and not one that has a lot of fanfare all the time but he definitely has his moments like last yeah. night where I think you can't really rip Tyler Myers at all after that game can't rip him all yeah. after that game yeah no I think um I think he he had a moment where he, he proved why he's maybe not why he's making the money he's making but you know why he was signed to that at one point in time so yeah, I'm not always a huge Tyler Myers fan. I think, uh, you know, it always looks humorous to me when he decides to lay his entire body down beside the net to block a pass with his height. I don't know why it decides to do that all the time. But um, yeah, last night was a night where he definitely stepped up. And it's unfortunate he maybe can't do that every single night for the team. And of course, we, we, we just mentioned it. Uh, Alex Edwards hit on Zach Hyman. Uh, Braden, why is Zach? Uh, why is sorry? Why is Alex Edler the uh, dirtiest player in the uh, in the National Hockey League? Because if 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 you just pay attention to what Leafs fans are saying, uh, Alex Edler is a serial murderer. Should have never been allowed in the National Hockey League. He's he has more dirty hits than a guy like Tom Wilson, and he's a scumbag. Oh, I mean, we all know, isn't the old saying that Swedish hockey players are the most violent players yeah. that have ever he's played a cheap the game? Shot I mean, he, he's had, a Swedish yeah. Matt Cook. I mean, we had the twins for all this time and they were absolute goons out there. You know, they would fight guys unprovoked all the time, which, of course, is not the truth and is not the truth with uh, Alex Edler either. I think um, my interpretation of that is that it was a you know wrong place, wrong time for Edler. He was spread out probably wider than he should have been, which is why his knee was the primary point of contact. Um, I haven't seen the clip since earlier today, so my my brain may be a bit foggy on it, but. My recollection is that Hyman tried to avoid the hit. You know, Edler was spread out like a wide tree trunk, and it was just a, a very unfortunate knee-on-knee situation that Edler probably could have positioned himself better to make contact and avoid that. But I don't think it was, you know, I don't think anyone should think that it, it was malicious in any in any sense. Only delusional Leafs fans think that was like an intentional dirty hit from Alex Edler. Yeah, and we heard today, I think he's out, Hyman is out for reportedly up to two weeks, potentially. I don't think this has been confirmed yet, but that was that was going around, at least I saw earlier in the day here. So it's understandable that if you take a player that is that crucial to the depth of, of the Leafs, a team that's hoping to make a deep playoff run, they're going to be a little bit upset with you, especially because they're really trying to clinch that top spot uh, in the last few games of the season here. Yeah, and of course, Alex Edler was suspended two games uh, because of that hit. I called it right after 
the uh, the the uh, the game on our post game show. That Alex Edler was at least going to get a one game suspension just because it's against the Leafs. It's a high profile game. Everyone's watching that game. They have to suspend him in, in that situation. There's no chance of not getting away suspension because again, it's such a high profile game. Like everyone in the hockey world's watching that game. Everyone in the world, hockey world want to see how the Vancouver Canucks would have fared after the worst COVID outbreak in North American professional sports. I don't think that's a question uh, at this point. So he was going to get at least one game. And I guess they added another game because of the least factor, but um, who knows? Yeah. And I think, you know what? That's fine. Like, I don't think it was malicious, but it was a knee on knee. So you got to pay the price at some point. And, um, you know, I kind of think it's, I don't want to say it's good that Edler's sitting, but it's also nice that we can get, you know, different faces in the lineup. Uh, obviously we're struggling for that because of how many guys we have out because of COVID, but it would have also ni- uh, nice to have seen Edler sit out some games in this back half anyways, because, you know, what are we playing for? And why, why does Edler need to play when we have so many young guys kind of waiting in the wings that we might as well give them some more minutes, right? You know, obviously Edler has earned the the minutes in the, in the spot he, he's gotten, but he's already off any special teams that really matter for this team. So I think he's kind of in the being phased out phase of his career anyway. So uh, obviously this isn't the way you want to have him take a lesser role. You'd like him to still be on the lineup or in the press box in a better sense. But yeah, I think that's at least somewhat of a silver lining from an otherwise very gloomy last month with the Canucks. Yeah, and that's how I kind of want to end this interview is just, you know, speaking for the rest of the season because it is, you know, the rest of the way you do have to, I think, focus a bit on the big picture. Uh, look, you write about the team. I don't consider myself much of a writer, but I do, you know, talk about the team on this podcast. Like, how how, how should we evaluate the rest of this season considering what's happened over the past two and a half weeks with this COVID outbreak? You know, we just had one game, so one game down of 19 we've got 18 and I guess 31 days 18 games in 31 in 31 days the, the rest of the season it's going to be a it's going to be a slog it's going to be a grind and you're gonna I think you're gonna have to look at different ways to evaluate this team or be at least a bit more sympathetic I remember after that first goal that that Toronto scored I was about to like rip the team for the turnover that led to that goal. I'm just like, okay, no, step back, step back. We know what's happened the past, you know, two and a half weeks. Take it easy. Like, is that something you think we're probably going to have to do the rest of the season? Or how how do we evaluate this team considering the super, super, I don't think any hockey team is going to about to attempt what the Vancouver Canucks are about to do, which is play 18 games in 31 days, Five back to five of those are back to backs. So ten of the eighteen are uh, you're not going to have any rest between games. It's going to be a, a, an absolute grind. So how, how do we how do we approach as people who I don't consider myself a big J journalist, a media member in any sense, but how, how do we approach watching this team the rest of the way? Yeah, so I'll just start off by saying I'm definitely not a big J journalist uh, as well. I, I I just write about the team and sort of a. Uh, that's why you're on to- this podcast. <laughs> we, all, we no no big J journalists allowed. That's not. That's why I've had I many I've myself- had many big J journalists, but you know we're not we're not big J journalists. But continue. Yeah, no, I found myself in a good spot then. Yeah, so I just you know me and me and my co-contributor Trent to the site. We just add add color to the stories going around the league. But I think what we 
probably both feel um, is that you just can't really evaluate this team effectively for the rest of the season. I think it's pretty much shot as far as anything is goes. When you look at these statistics, this last half of the season should have a huge asterisk uh, next to every single game that's played. And I think it's really unfortunate because the Canucks are essentially guinea pigs for the entire world. When you look at, okay, how do uh, how does COVID affect pro athletes when you put them through an absolute meat grinder for an entire month after they've just recovered from this virus? I don't think we've seen anyone other than, you know, a few players here and there in all professional sports come back with COVID. But I don't think we've seen an entire team be pushed to the limits that the Canucks are about to be pushed to. And I think it kind of goes back to the whole starting up again thing in the first place and that it probably shouldn't have happened they should have probably looked at points percentage for most of the games maybe maybe play some games that will matter for the playoffs and anything against um calgary or a team that's at the bottom just don't ottawa just don't play it you know it it sucks because you want to see every team finish all their games i'm sure the nhl wants to pat themselves on the back and be like look every team finished the season the season was like went off flawlessly well it, it didn't really go off flawlessly this is a totally acceptable season it's it's not anything the nhl should be proud of we, we saw outbreaks outbreaks all over the league and it, in every instance players are within protocol for the most part as far as i'm aware except for maybe the washington capital situation with them buddy buddy in the hotel room but i digress for most part players are following the guidelines set out by the league well, then the guidelines were not good enough. And that's just kind of how it was. And I think if it turns out that after the rest of this season, the players have long-term ailments, or some of them do, that could have been prevented had they rested for this last month, that's going to be something kind of circling back to what I said at the beginning, when players look, is this a place I want to sign for a long time and be a part of? If players look around and see themselves or their fellow players absolutely wrecked or worse for wear going into next season. And it could have been prevented because of this season. I think, you know, that's, it's going to be horrible and it's going to be something that again, could cause certain people to, to walk away or not sign as long-term as they, they may have in this, in this um, city. And I think, you know, circling back to just how do we evaluate this team? I just think we cross our fingers that every night is, kind of like last night that they look like they're all competing, that they look like they're all there, that we don't see any players, you know, need to go back to the dressing room for reasons. We're not too sure. We don't see any players lose their breath. Like it's kind of a depressing answer. Cause I, cause I, I want to be like, yeah, the Canucks are back. Like yeah. now we can focus on the hockey of it all. But I, I think we're not quite out of the woods yet. I think the NHL hopes every game is competitive. Like we saw last night. But I think there are going to be games in the later stretch where they're going to get completely destroyed and us as fans just have to go. I hope they're healthy. Like, I, I hope they're OK. So, you know, it, it really kind of kind of sucks. And I hate to say, like, I never thought I'd be saying cancel the hockey season. <laughs> Don't yeah. play. like the Canucks shouldn't play, but. Really, we heard a lot of people and a, a lot of people that don't have, you know, money on the table for this, I think, say like the health is more important than hockey. And it kind of, it really is. And it's a sentiment. It's a sentiment that's a bit cheesy. But yeah, I think as far as evaluating the rest of the season, there are going to be certain players we can look at and see how they're doing, not just in terms of COVID, but just how they're 
using this extra limelight that they're being given. But on the whole, I think we just have to hope that the Canucks come out of this season, you know, unscathed and better luck next year. And that hopefully we see some favorable contracts, namely Travis Green and Ian Clark, to name a few people that don't skate. It would be great to see if they get contracts. Looking increasingly unlikely, but yeah, I think this uh, this later half of this season is just really cross your fingers, wait and see. Hopefully there's moments where the players look healthy and we get some exciting hockey. But other than that, I think wouldn't put too much stake in, in the games we see going forward here. Yeah, I remember at the beginning of this of this whole situation, I thought the least the NHL could have done was cancel those games against the Ottawa Senators and the Calgary Flames. Games that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, don't really matter in the North Division. Like, after this Leafs game, we got four games coming up against the Ottawa Senators. Like, is anyone going to be trying in those games? Like, those games no. literally don't really mean anything. Like, I, I I can see a situation by the end of the season. We've got, I'm looking it up here. We've got three games, four and five against the Calgary Flames, like mid-May. We can honestly, I'm honestly seeing a situation where in one of those, like one of those games, the Canucks start Archer Silovs and like everyone's playing at like 20% effort because they're yeah. not going to mean anything. Like the playoff position is going to be set and the playoffs are going to be going on, you know, south of the border and the Canucks are forced to play three games against the uh, the flames that don't really mean anything and i do agree with their point that i think the nhl does want to have on its record that they completed a full 56 game season for each team with no cancellations they didn't have to go by point percentage again right like i think that's one of the main reasons obviously money's a big thing as well you know the nhl connects ownership don't want to cut checks to the sponsors to the tv broadcasters if they have to cancel some of these games and let's not forget the players in here as well. Like the players, I'm sure they're professional athletes. They're wired different. They want to compete, but you know, you, you can answer a whole, you can open a whole can of worms in terms of do the players get their full salaries if they don't play a full 56 game season as well. Right. So I think that at the least they could have done was cancel those games against like the Sens and maybe a couple against the flames. Or, you know, round it down to, you know, 51 games or what have you and make the schedule a bit more palatable. But the realist in me, you know, under, understands why. I don't like it, but I, I, I do understand why they have to push through the 18 games in 31 one days. Yeah, I, I, you can totally see where all the parties are coming from. I, you can see why the players maybe didn't want to play and you can see why, the NHL really wants them to play. And I think that's why most of the blame in the situation falls on the Canucks ownership and management, because they're the kind of in between uh, between those two forces and they picked a side and they picked the NHL side and the players really felt that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this season pans out. That's for sure. And I think from a, from a valuation standpoint, it's obviously going to be you know, a big opportunity for a lot of these, you know, guys down that depth chart in the organization of the Canucks to, to make a name for themselves, right? Like Jalen Chatfield before that game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, in my opinion, was, was dead and buried in the organization. I thought, you know, he was, he was not an NHL player, but he had a good game. And obviously with the Alex Edler suspension, there's going to be situations where they're going to have to rest some of these guys, like a Tyler, if Tyler, if Tyler Myers plays 30 minutes, the first half of a back-to-back games, I, I guarantee you there's almost zero chance he plays the next game. 
they're just going to have to rest him. Like there's no way, you know, post COVID this soon, he's going to be able to play second half of a back and back after playing 30 minutes. So there's going to be opportunities for guys like that to, to make a name for themselves. Right. And Mikey DiPietro, people, people in this market have been hand wringing, you know, for the entire season, but Mikey DiPietro doesn't have a place to play. You know, he, he should be, you know, in the AHL. He doesn't, he's not being played. Well, he's going to get an opportunity, I think, in one of these games to get a start. And, and people can say, well, that's, you know, that's not fair. You're going to throw him to an, in an NHL game, uh, you know, you know, throw him in an NHL game after not playing for over like a calendar year. Well, I'm sorry, like nothing about this situation for the Vancouver Canucks is fair. They, they should not be playing. They should not be playing 18 games and 31 games in 31 days. Sorry. Like nothing about the situation is fair. And you're just going to have to, if you're, if, if you're, you know, management, you got to throw him in there. And it's probably sucks for his development, but again, it's not fair to his development. Nothing about this situation coming up for the Vancouver Canucks is fair in any sense. Yeah. I mean, you, you made a good point with the chat, uh, Jane Chatfield thing. Uh, I was going to, write a piece back when he was actually getting games earlier in the seasons that he the season that he should be benched and he should not be playing because I think I saw enough from him I think a lot of people did and he just wasn't uh just wasn't NHL caliber I mean speaking of Toronto there was a game earlier in the season where we saw Austin Matthews at seemingly like 35 percent just walk right through him as if oh. he was a ghost like you remember when Kelly Rudy you remember when Kelly Rudy called Jalen Chatfield like a young Kevin Bieksa Oh my God. One, one of the worst takes of the hockey season so far. Sorry, the Vancouver Canucks easily. Yeah. Like just so, like, I love, I love that shit. Just like the most reactionary, like media take out there. Yeah. Like there's always room for players to prove you wrong, but uh, I mean, we hope Chatfield and players like him lower down in the lineup, get the chance to do that uh, these last few games. But uh, I mean, he did have a nice pass, I think, for Hog- Hoglander's goal there. So that was that was a you know a turn of events that we never saw him uh, take in in earlier games. We never saw him put himself in positions where he could be a difference maker like that. So yeah, I mean, one can only hope. I think that's the only bright side for this uh, later half of the season is that players further down that would not see a regular uh, time on ice this high get to see some good development out of this because these are still NHL caliber games and they're going to be playing NHL caliber teams. It's just, they themselves arguably not NHL caliber at the moment. Yeah, and it obviously has implications for, and we can quickly, we can quickly touch on this, the Seattle expansion draft uh, coming up as well, right? You mentioned like earlier in an interview, Brain Holpe, maybe Seattle takes him if he goes on a bit of a hot streak. I, I doubt it because of the cap hit and, and the real dollars, but if one of these guys from the Vancouver Canucks, I'm talking later, de- uh, further down the depth chart, impresses, you know, that that could pique the interest uh, of a team like the Seattle Kraken. And, and speaking of Travis Green as well, and the Seattle Kraken connection, I, I do agree. Like at this point, the longer it goes with Travis Green not having a contract, the more likely he he he, he leaves the Vancouver Canucks. Like I'd put it at like 70 30 at this point. That, Travis Green isn't going to be back as, as a Canucks head coach. And even and after this COVID situation, Matt, Travis Green, what he was, what he was up on his, on his media availability. Did you, did you, were you able to see some of the images of Travis Green from uh, the I media? Did, yeah. He yeah. looked like an absolute bag of shit. I know. Like he looked, he looked so beat up and a lot of that's to say like, 
And that's not like making fun of him, but he legit, like I, I he legit like looked terrible. And I'm not trying to make fun of the guy or anything. Like he just like he just like he obviously had like some serious, serious battles with COVID-19. But after that whole situation, do you want to come back to the Vancouver Canucks? I, I don't know if I would. Yeah, I don't know either. And I think I think you're right in the sense that he's gone this whole season without a contract. I know it's a COVID year, but has there been a time where a lame duck coach has gone this far into the, into a season uh, into his contract year where he needs to, he needs to be resigned. I don't think so. And I, I mean, you know, we're signing Tanner Pearson. We're signing Thatcher Demko. Those are deals I think took people by surprise for when they took place. I don't, I don't think the Demko deal is particularly shocking uh, in and of itself, I think the Pearson deal very much is, even though there were murmurings that they were going to re-sign him. Uh, but how can you not chill out money for your coach that took you, you know, a game away from what was it? The what well, I forget what round they were in. It was the whole second round game seven. Year. Second round game seven. Yeah, from the conference final there. One so goal were, away. One I goal know, away yes. from from going to conference finals as well. Yeah, and then you got your goaltender coach that, uh, I mean, we see with how Markstrom's been doing in Calgary that maybe you, that's a case for him, that Ian Clark is the difference maker there. And we know D. Pietro, even though he hasn't been playing, has been speaking very highly of his time with Ian Clark. Like, how do you not carve out some money for that guy that is clearly upping the value of your goaltending squad? Like, it's just beyond me. Like, I think the whole... Uh, the whole way you can sum up this connect season is just from an ownership and management perspective is just short-sighted. They're just, it, they're just not looking past this year and maybe even the next year. Cause that's when they want to be competitive is like one to two years, probably two down the line post COVID. What kind of a team are you going to have if you're letting these key peripheral pieces walk and then re-signing uh, your Tanner Pearson's for, uh, that's the whole other thing for way too much money. When you just acquire your Jimmy VCs and your Travis Boyd's, we don't know if they're going to be a Pearson type uh, player for this team, but they're clearly confident enough in VC to slot them up into the top six. And like those guys, VC is like $900,000 cap it. Travis Boyd is $700,000 cap it together. They're like less than half of what we're going to be playing, pe- paying Pearson. So clearly there is a market out there for Pearson that would be way lower than what we ended up paying him. And clearly there's a market for players like him. We could have just picked up in the off season. So that's another can of worms all in of itself, but I guess that's a sensitive, sensitive nerve for me and many Canucks uh, fans. And I think writers over the, the past few weeks here. Well, you know what, Brian, I think that's a perfect point to end this interview. A lot of questions going forward in terms of the, uh, the direction of the Vancouver Canucks. Again, Brian, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast quick plug time where can people find your work where can people follow you yeah absolutely so you can find uh the site that i write for uh with my partner trent leith uh me and my writing partner write for stadiumchinatown.ca so uh just google that if you google stadium chinatown you'll likely get the sky train station uh and then you can find <laughs> us on twitter uh at stadium i believe it's sdtm underscore chinatown uh, and then my Twitter is just my name, Braden Fengler, and that's where you'll find my writing. And then uh, my my uh, co-writer, Trent Leith, is Trent uh, L14 on Twitter. So, yeah, just check our Twitters. That's the main thing. And then we also have we also have a newsletter right on the side of our, our website that just spits you 
the last week's articles that we wrote. So if you don't want to try to keep up with what we're writing in our, in our Twitter feed, you can just get right in your, right in your inbox, just the, the two to three articles we write a week, just sent right to you, just our musings and rants on the current state of the Canucks. So I'm sure there'll be a couple colorful pieces come, <laughs> coming out this week as we finally get back to game action. Yeah. Uh, again, Brian, thank you so much. And make sure to check out uh, Stadium Chinatown, number one Canucks slash Translink uh, blog out on the uh, Hey, we haven't got that check. We haven't got that check yet. So it's coming, man. I can feel it. All right. Thank you to Brayden for hopping on the podcast. Much, much appreciated. Now, I wanted to briefly touch on the Nikita Charamkin rumors out there. Rick Dollywall reporting that the two two sides they are in talks you know they haven't it's been every every little while it seems like the Canucks and Tram can try and, and work something out that's what Rick Dollywall is reporting that his exact tweet don't be surprised if the Canucks talk with agent for Nikita Trampkin soon to see if there is a fit now I don't pretend I do not pretend to know how Nikita Trampkin's game has evolved over in the KHL. Haven't really watched him much, but I do remember his time in Vancouver. And in the words of the late great Jason Bottred, he was a big fucking guy. You know, six seven, six eight, whatever. Very raw, but you can see why an old school guy like Jim Benning would want to take a chance on him. And it's been a common theme in Jim Benning's tenure with the Vancouver Canucks, first with Erica Branson, then with Tyler Myers, and now seems again with a guy like Nikita Trampkin, sorry. Jim Benning, his entire tenure, it seems like, with the Vancouver Canucks, and I mean entire tenure because Nikita Trampkin was drafted in the 2014 draft by Jim Benning, his first draft for the Vancouver Canucks. His entire tenure, he's been searching for his next Zidane Chara, that big, physical, imposing, tall presence on the blue line. Erica Branson, Tyler Myers, now going back from Nikita Trampkin. It's been a seven-year odyssey for Jim Benning here in Vancouver to find his next Zidane Chara. It's a very old-school hockey mentality. Find the biggest defenseman you can and put him out, out there. But it's one that Jim Benning, it, it seems like in his tenure for the Vancouver Canucks, has always tried to adhere to. Uh, he wants a really, really big <laughs> defenseman back there. Again, I, I've not watched Akita Trampkin since he left the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not going to pretend that I know much of his game. But I worry that in a flat cap environment, feels like we're repeating that at nauseum. But it's true, in a flat cap environment, is it wise to spend money on a guy like Nikita Trampkin when you have bigger fish to fry here at home? Anyways, that is today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts when you get the opportunity. Leave a review, rate us five stars as well. Helps us go up the rankings. Helps us produce more quality hockey content for everyone out there. Once again, 
This is Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.